This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Roundup. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lendit Fintech, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. Glad to uh, get to the news of the week. Exactly. My favorite My favorite 30 minutes of the week right here. <laughs> um, we're just, just the two of us today, so let's kick it off uh, with a, a story that um, came out earlier this week about Coinbase. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you've bought NFTs, Todd, but I, I went on to OpenSea yep. probably six months ago, and it took me probably a couple of hours to figure out how to get my ETH into into my you know had to get get my ETH from my MetaMask wallet over to OpenSea, and it was really a it was a complicated and difficult experience. Um, and Coinbase wants to make it easier, and I think that's a, I think it's it's a great thing. I mean, to me, it it goes to um, you know, the, the push within the industry as a whole, um, to make this segment consumer friendly. And until they get to that point mm-hmm. where, for example, my wife is not, you know, like a FinTech nerd like me or you, uh, it needs to get to someone like her. Yep. Uh, or, you know, to my brother who same thing, isn't a FinTech nerd. It needs to get to them where it's as simple as, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Let me do this in five seconds. Um, and until it gets to that point, um, it's it's hard to say it's, quote, unquote, flushed through the mainstream. I yeah, think it's, it's not. The path is starting to be uh, built, but I don't think uh, it's truly gets there until something like that happens i know and we've had um you know, we've had one of our colleagues uh kevin travers who's uh been playing around with nfts for the last month and he's spent hours and hours trying to figure out how to mint nfts you know not just you can do one at a time he's trying to figure out how to mint like 20 at a time and it just hasn't been able to do it but uh it's that it's just not user-friendly i feel like um the coinbase thing talking about they're going to make minting purchasing showcasing and discovering nfts easier than ever um you know they are it's all going to be um on the ethereum blockchain no layer two integrations yet which uh is interesting but means you're gonna have to pay a lot in gas fees Mm -hmm. but um it's good for the industry. I think it's NFTs are, are, are hot. I mean, the whole thing around autograph. Tom, we talked about Tom Brady and Tiger Woods several times on this show, and that you know that they are like um, the, their their deal with DraftKings is easy. It is just it's like just putting a credit card down and you're buying an NFT. But those are very vertical. There's no like open marketplace yet that makes it this easy. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's right now it's in the space of you know, we're figuring ourselves out as a market, you know, how complicated is this? How much fun can people have with it? How dangerous can it be? How much does stuff really appreciate? Um, I I think it's in that kind of weird space, which is good from the sense that it needs time to play, go through ups and downs. It needs to crash. It needs to come back. It needs to 
kind of get itself on a path that's long term. Um, but I mean, it's only natural for Coinbase to take this uh, type of project yep. on with how totally. powerful they are in the space. And you know, with with the, the volume that's been going on OpenSea, um, you know, it's like 10x over the last quarter. Um, you know, that, that it could be a good revenue stream for them. Really, I think it's uh, it could you know really going to be boost NFT's popularity. I would expect. Anyway, let's move on. Yep. Want to talk about Nerd Wallet? Um, Nerd Wallet is sort of the you know, it started off as a credit card comparison site. Now they're sort of equivalent to Credit Karma, but with a bit more content. Um, they uh, they dropped their S one on Friday of last week. Really interesting reading. Um, you know, they're they're doing better than I expected as far as you know revenues. I mean, two hundred and forty five million dollars in revenue in twenty twenty. Um, they're up like thirty percent, I think, year to date uh, in twenty twenty one. Valuation of $5 billion, that's not that surprising. $21 million unique visitors per month. And um, it's really, you go on a nerd wallet and it's all about like the content. It's all about sort of educating customers. When I, I went back and sort of looked at the, the podcast interview I did with the CEO, Tim Chen, and he was really talking about how they they are an objective platform and that's their, that's sort of their their core dna is to be objective you can't buy yourself into a nerd wallet review everything's everything is uh, really um based everything is sort of set up so that uh it's really the best products that uh that are, that are offered and uh you know it's they're obviously doing really really well the first thing <clears throat> i thought of um, when seeing this and um, you know looking through some of the stories was the impact the pandemic has had on people looking and examining their financial lives. Yep. Um, and so they're sitting at home all the time. At the same time, they're looking and they're sick of the bathroom or the kitchen or whatever, and they've done that home improvement that you know has kind of been sitting around for a while. The same people um, have also said. You know, what really is my debt to income ratio? How much do I have on cards? Is that a safe amount? Is it not? Do I need to take out a you know an unsecured loan to combine my debt and, and get it to one payment and not pay all these different fees? And um, you know, and I think it's a natural um you know time for them to go public after they probably saw a pretty big year in, in 2020. Um, I also think for that financial wellness angle is now moving to the front line. Yep. Um, I've always thought that we've had pre-COVID um, part of fintech, which was the tools have been created. People talked about financial inclusion. They talked about democratization, but it hasn't really truly happened yet. Now we're hitting stage two of fintech, which is finally pushing it to the people who need it most. And if you know anything about education in America, you don't go through financial class during school, whether right. it's you know elementary school or high school. I mean, you basically need to go find that stuff yourself uh, or talk to your family and, and whoever. I think sites like this, sites like Credit Karma have put that further to the front of the line and people are finally getting a sense of what it means to take on debt. And this is why I think stuff like buy now, pay later is also taken off because people realize, do I really need to get a credit card? Why can't I just do this? And it yep. paid off in four installments. I don't need to put it on a balance on a credit card, pay interest every month and, and slowly rack up debt. So I think it's, it's a pretty 
fascinating time in that um, content, um, you know, uh, financial wellness space. And I think they fit kind of right into that. Big fan of that space personally. I think uh, the more financial wellness um, you know, content and apps and different ways for people to understand their finances, I think the more the better. Anyway, next up we have – I was. This is pretty stunning. I, I thought Celsius Network, which really stunning, really has been. has been. You know, they've been around for uh, for a few years, but they, you know, I've, I've, we've written about them. Um, they have never been a really big player, but they just raised four hundred million dollars at a three billion dollar valuation. And their core product is similar to BlockFi. It's just you 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 put out you you basically host your. A wallet at uh, Celsius Network, and you can earn interest on your crypto, which is a product that has a lot. Let me stress a lot of regulatory uncertainty right now. There's regulatory trouble that they, they have um, basically uh, either cease and desist or some kind of action in four states. Um, but they're saying this 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 investment's all about credibility. And just one last thing before I throw to you, Todd is. Last year in 2020, they raised 30 million dollars at a 120 million dollar valuation. That just uh, just just think about that for a second. 30x in uh, really less than you know 18 months. I mean, this this at first glance it's insane. Yeah, because you know it's the the regulatory issues right now around the space like this. To put to have the confidence to put that much capital in a company, I think is is. I guess it also epitomizes uh, big risk, big reward in, in venture sometimes too, uh, because if the pathway exists and all of a sudden this becomes a huge success, then these you know VCs are going to look genius. But as we sit here today, um, it's a huge risk to just pour tons of money into these companies that you know, has shown the current administration, at least has shown that they have no interest in, um, you know, finding a, I guess you could say a middle ground path. They're certainly more on the side of we're going to over-regulate this certain segment of the, the market just in case. Um, and um, so to me, it was probably the, the most shocking story of the week. Um, you know, if, if you step back a little bit, maybe it's not as shocking with, you know, some of the bets that venture firms make and, and, you know, if they hit a home run, then, you know, they, they look great. They return their entire fund and then some, um, but you know, this could be one of those. It's a, just a huge bomb. It's, it's yeah, a total, it, total crapshoot. Because well, what if, what if the SEC comes out and says, yeah, that product illegal now you cannot have it. Um, and, uh, which what is that, that not that far fetched at, no, at where we really sit today? Really isn't it? interesting. Just just before we move on, the I mean, these I, I, no knocks on these firms. I just don't know them. Westcap um, led the led the round, and then a Quebec uh, investment group who is it's in French, um, Casta Depot, a pla- placement du Quebec. Forgive my forgive my French uh, uh, attempt. But uh, CB, CDPQ, never heard of them either. Um, you know, it doesn't mean they're not great, great firms, but clearly it wasn't, it's not one of the uh, A-listers as far as the VCs go. When it comes and to and I also, you know, we're not even being critical of Celsius. I think they're, 
uh, I like BlockFi. I like Celsius. I mean, yep. we think all those companies I like the are doing. I think it's yeah. a great product. You should be able to earn interest on your crypto. I think it's great. It's just clearly the regulators don't um, to a certain extent. Yep. Uh, and it's that's becoming dicier by the second. Yeah, it really is. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. We I wanted to talk about another funding round, which makes a lot of sense, and that is Tala. Um, we had that in our newsletter this morning as our lead story. They raised a um, uh, $145 million. The thing that was most interesting to me about this, the round was led by Upstart. Now, I can't recall any investment Upstart has made. I haven't checked Crunchbase. So, uh, now there, I, maybe one or two others. I, I remember when they, when they said they were launching a fund, and I think Coinbase has, has launched a fund too. Right. There's been a few fintechs who've now launched funds. Um, but yeah, I mean, none of them, I, I, to my knowledge, I've, I've ever led around. Well, so it, it's, it's um, basically they're led by led by Upstart, valuation somewhere north of $800 million. I mean, Tyler, we've had, we've had uh, uh, Saroya, uh, Shivani Saroya, I should say, on our, on our um, I had her on the podcast. She's been, she's spoken at our events multiple times. Um, really sharp, really sharp uh, uh, CEO and a uh, lot of respect for what they do, fo- focusing on, basically they've built their company focusing on, on really small loans, like, really small loans you're talking about um a hundred dollars or less uh most of the time they uh they started in africa they've they've now um expanded to the philippines uh, mexico and india but what's really interesting is that the other the other um company that is part of this uh part of this round and that is the stella enterprise foundation stella being a crypto um, you know, a crypto company. This is their nonprofit group because they, they basically they want to get into crypto. They basically want to offer. They want to be a full service financial app for the underserved. And uh, you know, super interesting. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, you know, microcredit. Um, I think who was the first ones to do it? Grameen back in the day. The yeah, Grameen. Grameen invented the space basically. Yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a great product. Uh, for emerging markets, um, you know, Tala has been, um, you know, one of the uh, better performing names uh, in the market. I I chuckle a little bit at the crypto thing. It seems like every release now, it's like the fourth bullet point is, well, they're going <laughs> to introduce crypto to their product set. So, um, you know, I find that to be a, a little funny. But, um, you know, overall, it's, you know, I think it's fascinating. The upstart piece is, is the most fascinating part. Like you mentioned, Peter, it's, to me, I think it's it's really cool to see the successful fintech companies then recycle their knowledge and capital back to other fintech companies. Right. Uh, and what it shows is some of that knowledge they've learned in growing upstart is now going to Tala. And eventually will Tala get to the point where they launch something and maybe they do, you know, invest in and do a fund down the line, but it's that recycle. I think we used to see it more in the traditional, the from some of the founders or early employees leave and they become angels. Maybe this is the part of the, a newer business model where the company just launches a fund and they invest in companies instead of some of those early employees leaving and becoming angel investors. Right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I think, yeah, for, for Tyler, I mean, that, that, like they say that this is, this is, coming their, their customers want to have access to crypto and uh so i mean 
quite quite likely there'll be yeah good I have no demand doubt about there. that yeah good demand there um, and uh, it's interesting you know upstart um, you know, she said they like they really have there's two things they really want to focus on improving their their lending algorithms and models which obviously upstart is uh, probably the world leader in, in doing that and then um, you've also offering crypto so that's why they've got those two investors and uh, I think you know I've always been a big fan of what um, Tyler is doing, and I think you know, this is this is setting them up quite nicely. And just as an aside, uh, Paul Gu, who we know really well, is going to join uh, the board of uh, of Tyler. So that's uh, that, that's interesting. And there's also going to be uh, someone from Stella joining the board. Anyway, let's move on. Um, this just while we're staying on crypto, I, this this story just caught my eye this morning. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it, I mean, we get this, I think we talk about this quite regularly, but there's this one came from a deputy governor of the Bank of England talking about uh, the headline on CNBC was crypto could cause 2008 level meltdown, Bank of official, Bank of England official warns. And, um, you know, he, it, it's funny because the, the, if you read the article, it's sort of, he doesn't really say that. It's like, it's, it's, it's a possibility, but he, he says right now, it, there isn't a systemic um, risk with crypto, but you know he's talking about down the line if it you know if it if it goes ten x from here or could anything from... have a systemic risk down the line if it gets big enough? <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Right. It's, yes, you know, yes. It's, I guess it's the definition of clickbait, and um, you know, it's I, I do like the fact that he's like you know now is the time to. Um, you know, I think it's regulators should not overreact. Yeah, that was that was a really important piece. I think that uh, in this, in I think this regulators need to be sitting with all these companies and and figuring out what they're doing, even if it's like a no action kind of place where they're operating right now, so they can fully define where the borders should be. Because mm-hmm. I think right now they've taken such a stance that whatever borders they're putting on the space, I don't think they truly know where the border should be. I think they're guessing like we're going to put the border here because, you know, that's probably the safest place when it should be like maybe back here, which is like a, a, a some risk, but not an overt risk to the uh, larger financial system. It's like, we're just going to play it super conservative and we're just going to put it right here. Um, and you have this much room to operate right now. Um, yeah, they, they just need to keep talking to these companies. Yep. Yep. No, that's, that's for sure. I think, um, you know, the, the, the thing he points out is that, you know, it's the, the, the crypto market has grown from $16 billion total market in 2016 to 2.3 trillion. So that's, a that's obviously more than a thousand X, and it's not going to grow a thousand X from here. That's uh, that's obviously not uh, not not possible, I don't think. Um, but at least not in that short period of time. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, for for anything in the in the tens of trillions, I think is a long, long way away, if uh, if ever. But what he points out is is that you know that that the, there's extreme volatility. We know that Bitcoin, it said, has dropped. 10% on 30 separate occasions in one day, 10% in one day. And, you know, it could cause a panic. It could, you know, when, when it becomes, when, when trillions and trillions of dollars are locked up in a totally unregulated uh, asset, it, it makes them nervous. So I see, I mean, I think that, I mean, just, I think um, they need to bring in, 
you can't, you don't want to regulate Bitcoin, I don't think, but you want to regulate um, all of the platforms. Like you need to regulate Coinbase and and BlockFi and um, you know all the ones that you can, and even like some of the DeFi platforms that have that have actual organizations. I mean, I think they're the ones you need to have. Anyone who's selling Bitcoin to US or UK consumers should have to register with, uh, you know, like, 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 like so many other assets uh, you have to do. So uh, I think it's, we're going to be, this story is not, this is, a, this is going to be the big story of the next 12 months. I think the, the, there's going to be more and more regulatory pressure, particularly if crypto keeps climbing like it, like it is now. Bitcoin gets to 100,000. Yeah, suddenly the, the the Bitcoin will be worth more than two trillion dollars, and that that's gonna that's gonna make regulators nervous. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving right along here, I want to talk about Opportune. Um, I've you know I've, I'm a big fan of this company as well. They've uh, you know, the Opportune. They're a public company now. They have you know they serve um, the underserved, typically uh, the the Hispanic market in the US and um, you know they pulled their bank app, the bank charter application. Not that unusual. Seems like I would even argue most fintechs end up pulling their bank charter application at least once. Um, I, I think we, we talk about. I talk about that. I think it's next week. I have my podcast with Michelle Alt being published, and we talked about that uh, in some depth on the show. Um, but the the thing about it is they they, they I mean they were they were in the news. I don't even remember. It was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, in the news about their debt collection practices, and they seem to be pretty heavy-handed. They've made some changes, um, but they have a lot of, um, you know, they've, they've, there's been a lot of pressure from consumer groups, some of the adv- advocacy groups. Um, there's 22 of them apparently wrote to the OCC saying they should be, um, you know, basically should delay approval of this until the CFPB probe into those. The CFPB is doing a probe into these debt collection practices until that's been completed. So anyway, just no, another kind of I don't know, regulatory, um, I know it's a black eye, but certainly not uh, not a positive move in the fintech lending space. You're on mute, Todd. But certainly to, you know, the, the lending aspect to it. Um, you know, the, the charter thing, I think they, a lot of these companies submit just to figure out what they need to fix. Um, and then they pull it back and then they fix and then they resubmit, you know, it's kind of like, Hey, you know, define and tell me what we're screwing up. It's like, I wonder if it, is there a different process that they can like, you know, submit a preliminary application because it's like, it feels like we're going through this with so many firms. Like it's news that they submit an application. Then it's news that they pull it back. And then it's news that they resubmit. Like, <laughs> Why don't we just, under the guise of this is preliminary, review it, what's wrong? Okay, now they've officially submitted their application. It just right. seems, I don't know, part of it seems a little silly, but uh, it does seem like that's kind of the the process as it stands today. Yep, yep. Not, not an efficient process, but we are dealing with regulators. <laughs> anyway, I want to move on to this really curious story that, uh, that caught our eye about Bank Dora. This is um, not a bank. Believe it or not, it's actually 
started by four credit unions. In that four credit unions, these are these are decent sized credit unions, all with uh, multiple billion dollars of assets under management. Um, so not small credit unions, and they are four of them have banded together and created a neo bank. And the bank is called Bank Dora. And the first thing I thought of when I saw that was Dora the Explorer. My daughter used to love that show. Um, <laughs> Back uh, back a few years ago, but it's uh, and there actually is, and that uh, it really is part of it because it's the, one of their real one of their selling points or the unique parts. What they're going to do is it's going to be a bilingual Spanish English. Um, everything they're going to do is going to be bilingual bilingual offering. And and the thing that I thought was so funny because you remember Chime, Chime used to be called Chime Bank, and then the California regulators said, no 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 no, you are not a bank. You cannot use the word bank in your name. And they said, okay, we'll just use Chime. And what they're saying here, that their argument is that they're not using bank in their name as a noun. They're using it as a verb. Bank at Dora, like bank Dora. That's what they're saying, which I don't know if the regulator is going to really like the difference between a noun and a verb, but uh, curious, curious development nonetheless. Yeah, that's a strange one with the, <laughs> the language part, but I think it's a... You know, the, the one thing we've seen with some of the traditional firms, we saw it with, you know, Finn by Chase. Um, you know, people suspect that might have been a test uh, for them. Um, but we haven't seen many banks launch a fresh digital brand and it then work right. easily. I guess Goldman is maybe the one exception, though. Yep. You know, Marcus is, I don't know how different that really is from the Goldman name. Like, well, no, yeah, but Marcus, Marcus doesn't cannibalize their existing business. Exactly. Uh, and Marcus was like, you know, it's basically Goldman just kind of launching a bank um, that didn't exist to begin with. So I think yeah. that's a kind of an outlier to the to this type of story. Um, but others have tried it um, and we haven't seen one break out as a success yet. I think the fact that this one's a, like a mini consortium gives it you know kind of a different feel to it like it's not but still it's like the one thing i i'm trying to understand is like why not just improve your products like what why launch with something new it's you know there's i maybe they're going after one you know i know you said that with the language and and a certain segment but if they were kind of serving some of those people to begin with, then you know, kind of, what's the point to this? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I mean there are credit unions that are all they're all based on the East Coast. They're so they're geographically constrained in some ways, I guess, and this is a way for them to open that up. But um, yeah, it's commissioning. It's like, it, it, and it's not. I mean, it's a neo bank, but is it? Is it? I mean, I presume it's not going to be a neo credit union, right? Um, that's the. <laughs> oh, no. That is, I mean, uh, it, it, either way, I mean, it's interesting news and, you know, long term how it works. And, and, you know, if you think about it, which customer belongs to who? Does it belong to consortium? Does one of the credit unions own part of the customer? And, um, you know, does this have, you know, I assume that they're probably using some charter by one of the credit unions or all of the credit unions or, you know, like yeah, who's originating a loan through uh, Dora? Like, well, you know, then who owns the loan? Like, you know, when Cross River originates it for a fintech, it's, you know, like, what's the piece there? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. And that, like, in the article in the financial brand, it um, it said that they had, 
I think it was uh, 1,000 or 2,000, I can't remember, uh, downloads in the first couple of weeks. So not not taking the world by storm, but a curious story nonetheless. Anyway, we're running out of time. Two more things I want to get to. Um, firstly, I want this is going to be a self-promotion. We now have a, uh, a fintech ticker. For all the public fintech companies we talk about on this show on a regular basis, uh, there's 21 public fintech companies according to – this is our definition, which is uh, basically you've got to – You've got to have launched after 1998. We're calling PayPal the original fintech company, so we're, we're going to say we include them in the ticker. We also, uh, anything launched after that, have to be traded on the NYSE, NYSE or NASDAQ. We may we may do other exchanges down the road, but that's what you have to be right now. So you, that rules out a lot. We decided not to do any Chinese companies. It's, it's too too uncertain about their future and listing in the there was plenty of those but we have we do have several latin american companies on there um and uh you you go you go to the uh, lendacademy.com you'll see the ticker at the top of the page and you can click on that and take you take you more in depth into the full ticker we'll be adding to it whenever there is a new public company when nerd wallet goes public they will be added to it and uh, it will probably be a pretty long ticker here in uh you know in the next year or two so that that that, and then we're going to end on the on the note. Um, a Jamie Dimon, good old Jamie Dimon, isn't he adorable? CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase on his uh, annual, maybe even semi-annual um, dissing of Bitcoin, he said uh, Bitcoin is worthless, um, <laughs> and uh, he thinks that regulators are going to require uh, are going to regulate the hell out of it. But you know, he says that, and I think of all the people go buy more Bitcoin because its price goes up. Kind yeah. of crazy. I don't know what he's doing. It seems like it's just like, all right, you know, I, I haven't uh I haven't dissed uh Bitcoin in a while, so I'll just kind of do it. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's anything really I, you know, I think he likes to throw it under the bus and and you know kind of see where it where it lands. I don't think there's much thought put into some of those things that that he says about it. Um so yeah, but he like- does say it. Yeah, every six to twelve-ish months, he keeps saying it. Yeah, and it keeps <laughs> so. being proven to be not true. Bitcoin is not worthless. It's worth yep. around fifty-seven thousand dollars right now, as as we're recording this. But uh, you know, that is, I feel like um, he is. I mean, he's going to continue to say it that way. Warren Buffett says the same thing. Now, those guys are both incredibly smart. Doesn't mean they they know anything about what's really going to happen to Bitcoin. So I think people have, people are growing, uh, are signing up. And I think he causes that reaction to say all of the, all of the real Bitcoin enthusiasts say, screw you, Jamie Dimon. I'm buying more right now. And, that's, and it pops up in price again. Anyway, we are out of time. Uh, thank you everybody for watching. Uh, thank you, Todd. Always great to chat. We will be back same time next week. Um, before we go, though, just a couple of quick plugs. We have our Latin American event happening on December 7th and 8th in person in Miami. Go to lenit.com, check that out. Uh, even before that, we have a virtual event um, focused on the European market, obviously open to everybody, uh, focused on startups. Uh, it's going to be super interesting as well. So go to lenit.com and check those out. Anyway, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, Todd. See you. Yep. Hey up.